Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. Other people, such as C.S. Lewis, have looked at some of the, the, the prophecies of Christ and the book of Revelation and they've come to some really bizarre conclusions about it. The book of Revelation has been subject to more speculation than just about any other book of the Bible. For the most part, this speculation has resulted in failed prophecy predictions and subsequently much discredit to the Bible's authority. Now that's led some people to claim that the book of Revelation cannot be understood. But we might ask, in what way then is it a revelation? Tonight, Dr. Corbett introduces how we might best go about understanding Revelation. Well, the book of Revelation has been subject to more speculation than just about any other book of the Bible. And generally, this speculation has brought much discredit to the scriptures themselves and therefore to Christianity. For example, some of the books that have come out and have sold literally in the millions have done, I believe, a lot of damage to the Christian faith because they present an understanding of Scripture that has now, in the light of history, been shown to be wrong. For example, in the late 1970s, Hal Lindsey brought out a book called Late Great Planet Earth, and this book has well and truly now been discredited. On the heels of that, other books came out by people like Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins called the Left Behind series, where they novelized their understanding of what the future held. And again, much of that has now been discredited. And then a long time ago, around the turn of the 19th into the 20th century, there were things like the Schofield Reference Bible that made all kinds of claims and supposedly, based on how we understand the book of Revelation, about what the future held into the 20th century and obviously into our present day. And so these things have largely been discredited. When you add into this a consideration of some of the other wild predictions that have been made about what the book of Revelation teaches. For example, one Bible teacher, Charles Taylor, in 1976 predicted that a thing called the rapture would happen that year. Obviously, it didn't happen. Then again, in 1980, Charles Taylor revised his second guess about the rapture and said it would be that year. So it didn't happen. So in 1981, he published again his third guess about when the rapture would be, claiming it would be in 1981. And then again in 1982, he made his fourth guess, saying it would be that year. In that same year, 1982, it was Pat Robinson, Pat Robertson, who predicted the end of the world would occur by what the Americans call the fall of 1982. He said, I guarantee you by the end of 1982, there is going to be a judgment on the world, he said, in May 1980 on a broadcast called the 700 Club. Uh, a year after that, 1983, Charles Taylor revised his fifth guess of when the rapture would be, and he said it would definitely be 1983. And then in 1985, it was predicted to be the end of the world based on his understanding of the book of Revelation by Lester Sumrall in his book, I Predict 1985. In 1985, Charles Taylor had his sixth guess that the rapture would occur that year. In 1986, he made his seventh guess when the rapture would be to 1986. And again, in 1987, he made his what is now his eighth guess about the rapture to 1987. In 19... 
88, the book I just mentioned before, Hal Lindsey's now bestseller, The Late Great Planet Earth, suggested that the rapture would take place in 1988, reasoning that it was 40 years, uh, which is a biblical generation, after Israel gained statehood. In 1988, Charles Taylor made his ninth guess that the rapture would take place that year. And this was followed by another Bible teacher based on the book of Revelation and his understanding, uh, Edgar C. Wisnant, who claimed that he had 88 reasons, and this is the title of his book, 88 reasons why the rapture will be in 1988. He actually predicted that the rapture would take place between September 11 and 13 uh, because it aligned with a particular biblical Jewish festival. After his prediction failed, he released another book called The Final Shout, The Rapture Report of 1989. In 1989, Charles Taylor made his 10th guess about when the rapture would be to that year. And then in 1982, he made his 11th guess and so on. You've got the idea about some of these guys. In 1992, uh, on April 26, 1989, Prophecy Buff uh, Doug Clark announced on the Trinity Broadcasting Network, uh, the show Praise the Lord, that World War III would begin within three years, which he claimed to be an understanding of the book of Revelation as well. In 1994, Charles Taylor made his 12th guess that the rapture would take place that year, and in 1997, Kenneth Hagen declared that the rapture would occur that year. 1997. Well, in the year 2000, there were all kinds of people making all kinds of predictions about what the future held based on their understanding of the book of Revelation. And uh, in Lester Summerall's book, I Predict 2000 AD, he says, I predict the absolute fullness of man's operation on planet Earth will end by the year 2000 AD. Then Jesus Christ will reign from Jerusalem for 1000 years. And that was a prediction that he made and clearly didn't happen. And we could go through and show that these predictions have done much damage to the credibility of how people view the Bible. And we we can see that there, that these people who, who have made these wildly speculative predictions have caused rank-and-file Christians to even question the Bible and its credibility. One Christian who called into a, an American talkback program where there was a, a Christian host raised the question, uh, and this was, Jesus said he would return soon, so where is he? And why has the church had to wait so long? And this was the question, uh, the, the, the caller's name was Ron, that he made, and the, the answer was a, a, an attempt to, to justify that soon in the Bible didn't mean soon and that it could actually accommodate the exact opposite of what the word soon ordinarily meant, which would kind of get these Bible prophecy teachers off the hook. Now, there have been great minds, people who have had a heart for God and a deep desire to hold to the authority of Scripture, people like Dr. Albert Schweitzer, one of the greatest men of the 20th century. He wanted to serve as a missionary and was rejected and was told, we don't need more preachers, we need more doctors. So he went 
back and, and spent the next six years studying medicine and became a doctor and then went to the African mission field as a humanitarian missionary and did a great job. He was a brilliant mind. And as he was looking at all of these predictions that many people were making and the speculation that was going into the book of Revelation, he he concluded, well, maybe the Bible is just wrong. If what these people are saying is true, then the Bible must be wrong. And this presented a, a great dilemma to his Christianity as well. Other people such as C.S. Lewis, have looked at some of the, the, the prophecies of Christ and the book of Revelation, and they've come to some really bizarre conclusions about it. For example, C.S. Lewis, who ordinarily is a tremendous thinker, he said this, Say what you like, we shall be told. The apocalyptic beliefs of the first Christians have been proved to be false. It is clear that, the New, that in the New Testament, they all expected the second coming in their own lifetime. And worse still, they had a reason, and one which you find very embarrassing. The Master had told them so. And that was something C.S. Lewis wrote in The World's Last Night, uh, essays that were published in 1960. So C.S. Lewis had, he, he had a problem with with Bible prophecy, the book Revelation in particular. He couldn't get his head around it. He couldn't understand it. He couldn't understand what Jesus was saying and what the apostles were saying in the book Revelation. And so in the 1920s, he had a, a public debate with Professor Bertrand Russell. And Bertrand Russell pulled out one of these verses, Matthew chapter 24, verse 34, where Jesus said, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And he used that verse to, on C.S. Lewis in a public debate. And C.S. Lewis had no answer. He had no comeback. And Bertrand Russell said, see, your Jesus was just guessing and he was wrong. Well, Bertrand Russell died adamantly uh, clinging to his atheism and believing that there was no credibility in either the Bible or Christianity in particular. And I think this is a shame. It's one of the reasons why back in 2006 I wrote a book in response to C.S. Lewis called The Most Embarrassing Verse in the Bible since he calls it that verse that was used by Bertrand Russell on him on that debate to be indeed, as he called it, the most embarrassing verse in the Bible. Well, I disagree. I actually think the book of Revelation can be understood. Otherwise, in what way does it deserve the title that it gives itself? A revelation. A revelation means a revealing, that it's revealing something. If if it can't be understood, then then its very title, its very declaration from the beginning is is not valid. So when we when we look at the book of Revelation, I'm going to suggest to you throughout this series that because it's a part of the Bible, because the entire Bible itself is understandable, because it specifically claims to be a revelation about something, that it can be understood. And thirdly, its own contents within the book of Revelation itself. It says that those who read it and obey it, which presumes you have to understand it, they are promised that they will be blessed. In fact, it says in some of the opening verses of the book, Revelation chapter 1 verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy 
and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it, for the time is near. And again, in writing to the original recipients of the book of Revelation, we see that the book itself says that with some wisdom, you can understand the contents of this book. So, for example, Revelation chapter 13, verse 18, this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. And again, I know that there's a lot of speculation about that verse, but put aside the speculation just for a moment. Let's let's look at the forest so, so that we can understand what the trees are about. But let's have a look at this because it says this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding. In other words, the original writer, the Apostle John, is telling his audience that it is possible to understand what he's saying. He's not saying that this book cannot be understood. In fact, on the contrary, he's saying that it can. Well, how then can we best understand the book of Revelation? After all, some great minds in Christianity have refused to tackle it because they've considered it to be so complex, so mysterious, that all others who've made guesses about it have been proven wrong, and they have not wanted to be proven wrong either. So how can we presume that we, mere mortals, can understand the book of Revelation when even some of the greatest minds have not been able to. In studying any book of the Bible, our mission is not to try and find what we want within the book. It's actually to find out what the book itself is wanting to reveal. There's two technical words for this. The first word that I think we need to understand is, is the word exegete. To exegete, ex means get out of. You know, we talk about exports. It's to send your goods out of the country. To exegete, E-X-E-G-E-T-E in English, to exegete the Bible is to see what it has and only get that out of it. The opposite of that is eisegete, E-I-S-E-G-E-T-E, eisegete. And we talk about imports, has that I sound, imports. It's what you bring into a country, the goods you bring into a country. Well, it's possible to read the Bible in a way that you're actually bringing things in with you as you read the Bible and expecting that the Bible will say those things. And oftentimes you can you can almost justify those things that you bring into the text by making the text twist and turn a little bit. Well, there are in scholars will tell us that if if you're going to understand any part of the Bible, any verse, any book of the Bible, there's some sound principles of what they call. Here's another technical word: hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the science of how we interpret the Bible. So these four principles include this, and, and as we go through these, none of these should sound shocking. None of these should sound controversial at all. The first one is whenever we look at any particular verse in the Bible, we look at its context. In other words, we're looking at the flow of the passage. We're looking at uh, what what has the verse been talking about? How has it defined some of the words that it uses? The next thing we do is we look at the audience context, and this is really important because if we're 
we're able to understand who this is written to and then we can then our mission is to is to kind of look over their shoulder and we'll talk a little bit more about this if we can see what the original audience saw we will have a better ability to interpret not just the book of revelation but any book of the bible the third thing that theologians tell us is the the safest way to interpret scripture is to allow the scriptures themselves to interpret scripture. So the first one, read a verse in context. Secondly, understand the context of the audience. And thirdly, let scriptures interpret scriptures. And then the fourth principle that theologians say is the safest way to read the Bible and to understand it is not to read a verse in a way so that you cause it to disagree with the overall tenor of scripture. In other words, as you are looking at a verse, you can be assured that it will accord with the rest of scriptures. It will agree with the rest of scriptures. So how do we interpret the Bible? Let's let's say these things in a different way. Firstly, we get the big picture first. Let's 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 consider the big picture first. We dis- the second thing, we discover the context of the book. And then thirdly, discover the intention, the intended meaning. Now, in English, we use expressions of speech that if we take them in a wooden, literal sense, they will become nonsensical. But if we can see how the the, the user of that language intended it to mean, for example, what if we des- describe the weather as it was raining cats and dogs? Now, you and I know what that means. We, we understand that that means it was raining a lot. In other words, by using that expression, I intend to convey to you the rain was very, very heavy. So to do one of these things, to, to discover the big picture, to discover the context, and as we talked about it, context has to do with read the verse in context and also understand the audience context. We have to make a distinction between who the book, uh, any book of the Bible is written to and who it's written for. It's not a tricky question, but when we look at a book of the Bible, say, for example, Ephesians, who is that book written to? Well, the answer is it was actually written to a church in Ephesus, in, which is in uh, Western Turkey. Uh, it was written to them. Now, does that mean that we can't get any value out of it today? Well, on the contrary, not at all. In other words, it was written to a particular church, but it's, it has merit for us. We can understand it and we can draw some tremendous insights and life principles from this book because even though it was written to the Ephesians, it still applies to us today. Now, this is really, really important when we look at the book of Revelation in particular because when we answer this question, who is this book written to? Well, we're actually told this in chapter 1 and verse 4. It says, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Now, don't think Asia being China and that part of the world. That's Southeast Asia. Asia is what used to be called Asia Minor. It's that, it's, it's that, that, that area between Europe and Southeast Asia. It's, it's essentially 
that that crossroad is today what we call Turkey. But this is what he says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Now, this answers the question, who is this written to? It's written to seven actual churches of Asia Minor. This is, as I've mentioned, modern Turkey. Now, without understanding this, we're not going to appreciate that the book of Revelation is is in chapters 2 and 3. It's actually written to seven churches that form a trade route. So this is a, a, a trade route, a trade route where you would start in Ephesus, you would head north slightly north north west and you would end up at Smyrna you would head north north east and head up at, and, and arrive at Pergamum then you would head uh, east southeast and you would he- arrive at Thyatira then you would head southeast and arrive at Sardis southeast again arrive at Philadelphia and then you would head uh, west southwest and you would arrive at Laodicea. These are the seven churches in that trade route. So this is this is the context. This is who the book of Revelation was written to. And we are going to do well to ask a couple of questions. Who were they? What were they facing at the time? When they were to read the contents of this book, what did they see? How did they understand it? So this is what we mean by getting the audience context. So one of the first things we have to do to answer this question is to ask exactly when. When was this written? Now, many Bible commentaries and many Bible handbooks and many study Bibles will tell you, and I believe incorrectly, that the book of Revelation was written in 95 AD. I want to give some very good reasons why this cannot be true. It just cannot be true. And then I want to uh, actually share with you why these commentaries and Bible handbooks and study Bibles make that claim. In fact, let's just jump to that. There's, there's a reference in, that was recorded around uh, by Irenaeus, I believe, around 150 AD, where he simply makes a comment. And the comment was about John, the apostle, who he describes as the author of the Apocalypse. Now, the word apocalypse is the Greek word for what we translate into English as revelation. And he makes one comment that says this, John, the author of the Apocalypse, was seen riding a horse during the reign of Emperor Domitian. Now, Emperor Domitian reigned around 95 AD. Now, based on that one comment, people have assumed, well, that must be when John wrote the book of Revelation. But looking at that comment by Irenaeus, we realize that's not what he's saying at all. He's simply saying John was seen alive in 95 AD. That's all he's saying. And he's identifying John as the author of the apocalypse. So why am I going to suggest that the book of Revelation must have been written in 65 AD. Well, there's a couple of things that we need to know about that time period. In 64 AD, Rome began persecuting Christians violently, 
very aggressively persecuting Christians under the reign of Caesar Nero. So this is one year into the persecution, a time of tremendous tribulation for Christians. And John says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was in the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. That's Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9. So we have within the book of Revelation some, some indications that 65 AD is the most likely date. But to appreciate this, you need to understand these dates. 64 AD is when Rome began persecuting Christians. 66 AD is when they began to attack Jerusalem and the siege of Jerusalem began. 68 AD is when Caesar Nero died. He died at the age of 31. He took his own life. And then 70 AD is when Jerusalem fell. The fall of Jerusalem under uh, General Vespasian, who became Emperor Vespasian, and his son Titus, who became the co-emperor, Caesar Titus, took place in 70 AD. So these dates, 64 AD, persecution against Christians began. 66 AD, the siege of Jerusalem began. 68 AD, Caesar Nero dies. And 70 AD, the city of Jerusalem fell. These are really, really key dates. There's another couple of things to to note about this here is that in Revelation chapter 11, John is told, go and measure the temple. So uh, by this time, John would have been off the Isle of Patmos, which was only just a, a little bit offshore from Ephesus. And if the temple, as I've already mentioned to you, was destroyed in 70 AD, and by the way, it has never been rebuilt if you can imagine this was being written in 95 AD and John is told, go and measure the temple, what temple? How could he have measured the temple? There was no temple. There's another reference in Revelation 17 verse 9 where it talks about the kings of Rome. And it says, five of them have fallen and one now is. And if you know your Roman Caesars, you know that we can count the kings of Rome, Julius, uh, Augustus, uh, Tiberius, uh, Caligula, Claudius, five are fallen. There's the first five. The next one now is. Well, the next one was Caesar Nero. And he reigned, as I mentioned, up until 68 AD. So that, that again, precludes a 95 AD date for Revelation being written as, as just not viable. Now, here's some other things that are really important to see in the book of Revelation. It gives in the first 19 chapters very, very clear time frame references. That is, it, it, it's actually saying there's a sense of urgency about what we're saying here. What we're, what we're revealing to you is going to take place, it says in Revelation chapter 1 verse 1, soon. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3, it says the time of this fulfillment is near. We, we read in chapter 14... And verse 13, it describes the events as now. Now, what are we to make of the overall message of Revelation? After all, I said if we want to understand any book of the Bible, we've got to get the big picture first. Well, the big picture of the book of Revelation is this, that it informs and inspires the reader 
about why Jesus Christ is worthy of worship. In fact, I'm going to suggest to you that that is the the primary function of the book. Revelation chapter 1 verse 1, the first five words are the key. And here they are, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It goes on and says, which God gave him to show to his servants the things which must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. But the the key there are the first five words, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Not so much from Jesus Christ, but the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the book of Revelation itself tells us that its contents is a revelation, not so much of the future, certainly not at the end of the world, but of Jesus Christ. So when we look at this book, our mission isn't to figure out where we are on the prophetic timeline or where we're going or what's coming up, but it's to get a grander, clearer, more magnificent picture of who Jesus is. As we come together on this journey and we go through the book Revelation, this is my hope that we will discover a clearer, grander, more magnificent picture of Jesus and that we'll see what the original audience saw as they saw something in what John told them that gave them hope, it gave them faith and the ability to endure. That's all we have time for tonight, but you can order the full-length version of this presentation on CD, audio or premium download by going to findingtruthmatters.org and selecting Understanding Revelation Part 1 from our online store. As we've heard tonight, just as with any other book of the Bible, our journey to understanding this book is firstly to look over the shoulders of the original readers and see what they saw. More on Revelation next week. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to having you tune in again next week for another Finding Truth Matters.